Today we welcome Pastor Milton in to speak to us again. May God bless the preaching of His Word. Thank you, um, Elder James. Is it? Or <laughs> sorry. Uh, anyway, thank you. Uh, uh, everyone for having me here this morning to uh, share with you once again in my series on the Ten Commandments. If you recall back in March, I shared my last message at that time on the Seventh Commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm sorry, it's a little bit of an adult message, but uh, anyway, we'll be moving on in today's message with the, uh, the Eighth Commandment, the Eighth Commandment. <clears throat> now, um, we're in the section of the um, commandments which are um, rather short. So that's why today's scripture reading, I had to add a few more scriptures, otherwise it wouldn't really feel like a scripture reading. So let us begin by looking at Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. This one verse is the Eighth Commandment. And then we will flip over to look at Leviticus 19, 13, and then 35 to 36. You shall not steal. Now Leviticus 19, 13. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hard man overnight. 35 to 36. Do not use dishonest sta standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. With those scripture readings, let us open with a word of prayer this morning. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we take a moment to bow in prayer to thank you that we are able to worship here together. We pray once again that your Holy Spirit speak to us, in us, and through us, that we might sense your calling upon our lives, your claim to live as God's people in this modern world. We pray, Lord, you be with us and help us in this time of uh, preaching and teaching and worship to experience a little bit of heaven down here on earth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. There um, are some experts and commentators on the commandments, and they would often say that behind every prohibition, I actually still kind of um, wonder, don't quite have the answer. Why are the commandments in the negative? You shall not do this and you shall not do that. These are prohibitions. Commentators say that behind every prohibition, however, there is a principle. In fact, um, I think these commandments are not so much a bunch of do's and don'ts, but they're like um, things to stimulate and get us to be thinking about certain things. Like, for example, um, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. It's not just a do and a don't. It's a commandment to get us thinking about the value 
the sacredness, the importance of human life. So this is, you know, behind the prohibition, thou shalt not kill is the principle of the sanctity of life. So in today's message, I'd like to use this Eighth Commandment as a springboard uh, and talk about some principles behind this prohibition, thou shalt not steal, and use this prohibition to get us thinking about what is the Christian attitude towards our wealth and our possessions. And this is actually uh, a big and important topic, especially in the world we live in. You might almost, I, I might almost argue that you can tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian by their attitude towards wealth and possessions. Anyway, um, so today I'd like to share using, you know, this one verse, once again, um, this Eighth Commandment is very short. It's only four words in English, you shall not steal. Um, but it, and it's even only two words in the original Hebrew. It's just only two words, so it's very short. But So I'm going to use this to share with you this morning three principles from this prohibition. Three principles from this prohibition. Now, to get started, I want to review a little bit. Uh, this is my favorite uh, chart or table uh, in the Ten Commandments. And uh, if you've been following along in these uh, past months, um, where we have um, the first half, this is from um, the Bible scholar David Baker. And in the first half, you'll see that he has these commandments one through five having to do with our loving God and then commandments 6 through 10 having to do with our loving our neighbor. I want to point out two things. Number one, we are at commandment number eight, which means that I only have two more commandments to go. And, you know, after two more messages, I won't have anything to preach on anymore. So I'm running out of commandments to preach on. So I'll have to figure out something next time. The second thing I want to point out in this chart is that um, it's very clear that these commandments are in the priority of importance. Now, they're all important. I don't want to say, you know, they're unimportant. They're all important, extremely important as principles for life and Christian living. But it's clear that the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is the first and the most important commandment of all of them. And certainly um, the commandment, uh, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder is more important than this commandment, thou shalt not steal. And you have to kind of wonder once again if these are really uh, commandments, do's and don'ts, because the, the last commandment, the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet, you know, how do you um, observe that? How do you kind of, um, how do you um, even um, hold, you know, how do you um, enforce that? That's the word I'm looking for. How do you, I mean, most of these other commandments, there are some kind of outward action. But the Ten Commandments is something that is inward and almost impossible to enforce. So, um, the commandments are rather unusual in that sense. Uh, 
So um, all this is to, um, to, to set up what I'd like to share as principle number one. And as you um, study this commandment and what it has to say for us today about wealth and possessions, uh, it teaches this. Principle number one, persons are more important than property. Okay, persons are more important than property. Let me share with you um, uh, a quotation from, once again, um, David Baker in his commentary, which points out that crimes against property are punished less severely than crimes against persons. So a measure of a commandment's importance is the measurement of the punishment for it. Here's what um, David Baker says. As we progress through the Ten Commandments, it is apparent that the penalties decrease in severity just as the seriousness of the crime decreases. Take a look at this. For example, in cases of murder that is deliberate homicide, capital punishment is the punishment and it's non-negotiable, so it's a capital crime. In cases of adultery, however, capital punishment is standard, but leniency and forgiveness are possible. So you see mandatory, then um, leniency and forgiveness are possible. And then thirdly, in cases of theft, however, capital punishment is never used. So you have this, this, and then you have in the case of theft, capital punishment is never used. So um, it, it, it kind of... Um, um, it, it kind of shows what I was referring to earlier, and that is that, once again, all the commandments are important, but um, there is a lessening of importance as you go uh, from the first to the tenth commandment. Now, if you were to compare, if you were to compare, because all societies um, have you know, laws against stealing and theft and things of that sort, but if you were to compare the Old Testament law regarding stealing and theft, it is even more lenient than the world around it. Let's take a look, for example, at the Code of Hammurabi. Uh, even relative to other ancient Near Eastern laws, the Eighth Commandment is more lenient. Uh, <clears throat> In the, uh, the Code of Hammurabi, which is the, uh, one of the first ancient law codes discovered um, and is part of the background of this ancient Near Eastern world and the Old Testament context in the world, they have an um, article. Here's what they say in article number eight. If a citizen steals an ox or a sheep from a state or temple official, then the citizen is fined 30 times the value of the stolen livestock. Likewise, if one citizen steals an ox or a sheep from another, that is another citizen, then the fine is 10 times the value of the stolen livestock. If a citizen fails to pay a fine for stealing the livestock, then the sentence is death. So in the Code of Hammurabi, it depends on your status. If you steal from the temple or the priest, 
then the fine is 30 times the value of what you have stolen. If you stole from just another regular citizen, that status, uh, the penalty is to pay back um, 10 times. How about in the Bible? In the Bible, we have here, in this passage, whoever, I forgot to um, put, put down the reference, whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. So uh, when it comes to the Bible, the, uh, the penalty, the punishment, the repayment is far less, you know, not 30 times and not 10 times, it's four or five times. So um, as you do a study of the Bible's laws on theft compared to the ancient Near Eastern world around it, um, once again, here's a quote from David Baker. The Bible places a much higher value on human life than on material possessions. So property offenses are punished less severely than offenses against the life and dignity of other human beings, such as homicide and adultery. Okay, so um, it's, it's clear the Bible places a much higher value on human life than on material possessions. And so um, the takeaway here is this. This is the first principle from this prohibition that persons are more important than property. I think this is a, um, a very important thing for us to think about and to reflect upon as believers. You know, what is our attitudes towards wealth and possessions? Do we place a higher value on our wealth and our possessions than we do on people? People are more important than possessions. I think this is uh, an important Christian ethic, Christian principle, and Christian value. And it's something that we have to keep in mind as believers um, in this very worldly and very materialistic world that we live in, commercialistic, uh, materialistic, corporatistic, and things of that sort. You know, there's a cover article in Christianity Today. I have it actually in, um, and the cover article has a story about how these for-profit companies, for-profit companies are purchasing and owning uh, Christian music and worship labels because they noticed over the years uh, Christian worship music makes a lot of money. And so now the concern in the article is what's going to happen to Christian music when these private for-profit companies start owning and taking control of Christian worship musicians and artists and labels. And so it's a very interesting article uh, to think and reflect upon. Um, but it's kind of, um, kind of uh, something to think about in terms of um, the, the, the value we place on people over possessions and profits. I remember hearing years ago the story, I don't remember exactly the details, um, and it might, it might reflect this period of the, um, the 1960s, I believe, the 1960s called um, the Jesus Revolution. Actually, 
there's a, move, a movie that just came out a couple of uh, months ago called The Jesus Revolution, and it's actually a very good movie. And I, I, I just uh, read, and actually, um, no, no, in another article, that um, this film uh, featuring Kelsey Grammer, by the way, can you imagine Kelsey Grammer is like the, the pastor of this, this old church, and the Jesus Revolution takes place in the 60s. And, um, you know, these old established churches are kind of turned upside down because these hippies are coming to church and things of that sort. But anyway, um, it, it's a very good movie. I, I would highly recommend it. But, um, you know, how many times have you heard the stories of that, you know, back in the day when these young people were turning to Jesus? A lot of churches would turn them away because, you know, they... They didn't want these dirty, unbathed, long-haired hippies with holy jeans, you know, messing up their church property or ruining the church carpet and things of that sort. So, um, you know, we really have to think about, you know, what's more important in our lives, people or property. Okay, all right. Now, there's a second principle I would like to share from this prohibition uh, to, to remind us of who we are and how we should behave as believers in terms of our wealth and our possessions. And the second principle is this. Stealing comes in all shapes and sizes. You know, when we think about the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal, we usually think about someone who is actively, uh, proactively going out there and stealing something from someone else uh, something that belongs to someone else and just taking it and putting it in my pocket, you know. And those of you who are maybe in high school or in college, you know, sometimes someone steals your backpack, sometimes someone steals your laptop, sometimes some people steal your iPhone, they just take it. So we usually think of stealing as in, in an active where someone takes uh, something that belongs to something, someone else and puts it in their pocket. But stealing, according to the Bible, comes in all shapes and sizes. The Eighth Commandment is not just talking about that kind of active stealing. Take a look at this. That's why we have today's scriptures. I want to give you a variety of um, the concept of stealing. Leviticus 19.13, today's scripture, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. So Stealing includes, uh, of course, robbing, but defrauding some kind of some sneaky way of um, taking something that belongs to someone else. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. If you hire someone, you know, don't hold back their wages. That's kind of, that's not active, that's passive, but it's still, it's still a form of stealing. Leviticus 19.35, do not use dishonest weight, uh, dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights and honest ephah and an honest hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So, you know, sometimes stealing is not as obvious. You know, of course, they use scales to, to weigh out wheat and grain and things of that. And sometimes they would you know, have a, a weight and they would trim it a little bit so that it wasn't an honest weight uh, as they would um, weigh valuables on the other portion of the scale. Here's another example, De Deuteronomy 19.14. Do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the 
inheritance you receive in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So, um, of course, in those days, they marked property lines with a boundary stone. You know, the stone was a marker, you know, this side is my property and then the other side is your property. And, you know, unscrupulous uh, people or Israelites, they would move the boundary stone maybe a couple of inches over there and then say, you know, they would claim a couple of inches of land or a foot would belong to them. So this is another form of uh, stealing and theft. So, um, you know, you may say, well, you know, I don't, oh, I don't steal someone's laptop, iPhone, or stuff like that. But, you know, stealing comes in all shapes and sizes, and we have to think about this as believers as well. Here's a, uh, once again, I'm relaying heavily on uh, David Baker's commentary, and he kind of throws everything in the bucket. So I think if, if you um, follow his words, I think we'll all feel... Uh, feel guilty about the Eighth Commandment. Quote, in today's world, too, this commandment is not only for burglars and pickpockets. If it were, most of us would claim we have kept it without fail. Rather, it prohibits all kinds of improper gain, whether by marketing inferior quality goods, charging excessive prices, being involved in financial corruption, filing dishonest tax returns, profiting from others' ignorance, giving and receiving bribes, pilfering at work, traveling on trains without a ticket, ignoring copyright laws, or buying and selling unfairly traded goods. You know, by, by David Baker's standards, I think we're all guilty. We have all, in some way, shape, or form, and violated the Eighth Commandment. You know, I can give one example where the Christian community has done very well in this regard. Some years ago, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, this new organization came up to protect the copyright of uh, musicians' music. And this is the CCLI uh, company, which is the Christian Copyright Licensing Organization International. And they felt you know, convicted by the Eighth Commandment that, you know, churches should not be using musicians' uh, music and um, their songs and their worship songs without, you know, some kind of copyright protection, without being rewarded or paid for their efforts and their works. And so this company, CCLI, came up maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, the Christian Copyright Licensing International, to save churches from the worry and concern of um, breaking the Eighth Commandment and kind of like stealing, borrowing, taking advantage of Christian musicians without um, uh, paying um, some sort of fee or dues for um, uh, copyright. Um, I think now the CCLI licenses some 250,000 songs in their, um, in, in their company. So I think this is a positive example of how um, the Christian community and churches are trying to do their best. You know, none of us are perfect, but at least we try to honor um, the Lord's will and the Eighth Commandment in our lives. Okay, how about uh, the third principle? Now this one, um, we need to uh, get help from the, uh, the New Testament, and I think 
once again, when it comes to um, preaching and teaching on the Old Testament, particularly uh, the Ten Commandments, I discovered that it's extremely important to balance you know, the teaching on the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament with um, the follow-up, what is God's will and teaching for us in the New Testament, because um, there, is, there is a difference, there is um, a transition, you might say a transformation from Old uh, to New Testament. So principle number three is this. We must think in terms of giving and not keeping. I think the foundations of this principle begin with the Old Testament, but are not really emphasized and highlighted until the new. You know, in the world, there are three kinds of people. There are those who take, there are takers, there are keepers, and then there are givers. And I think this final principle is to remind us, as believers, we certainly should not be takers. Um, to be keepers is nothing bad, but we have to go one step further to move from keepers to givers. Now, as a Chinese-American um, born in this country, um, second-generation Chinese-American, you know, born and raised of immigrant parents, and immigrant parents are, um, you know, they go through a lot of hardship. They came from a country that had very little, so um, they tend to be tremendous savers. They tend to be tremendous keepers. You know, they hate to, and I think, you know, I'm like that too. I hate to throw anything away. You know, we're pack rats because it seems so wasteful. Um, but I think as believers, we need to reconsider that attitude of saving and keeping and move more in the direction of giving, of giving, because this is the Christian way. In the Old Testament, it begins here. Leviticus um, 25:23 reminds us that we are stewards and not owners. Here's what um, God says to the Israelites. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. You know, God is telling the Israelites, the land is not yours, the land is mine and must not be sold permanently. And you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. So already in the Old Testament, God is trying to teach his people, you know, the land that you have, the boundary stone and all of that, um, that's not even yours. The land is mine, and it should not be sold permanently. And um, even in Deuteronomy, the next passage, Deuteronomy 8, uh, verses 10 and following, God says to Israel, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So you may be successful, you may be smart, you may be hardworking, and once again, as the son of immigrant parents, you know, they worked incredibly hard. My mother 
ran a uh, hand laundry. My father ran, ran a machine laundromat, working seven days a week. 20. So it's almost part of our DNA to work by the hands of our own strength and our own might and to be hardworking. And we can develop this attitude that it all belongs to me. It's by my strength, my will, my hard work that I have created, produced this wealth for me. But as a Christian, that's the wrong attitude because it is God who gives you that strength and that wisdom to produce wealth. You know, um, you know for, those, for those of us who, who are older, you have to remember that you know, um, your, your health is important. You know, if God doesn't, good, you, if God doesn't give you good health, uh, good physical well-being, you know, you won't be able to go to work. You won't be able to perform well in school. You know, there's all kinds of diseases and illness. Mental health is also an issue, you know. We have to pray to God to give us not only good physical strength, but also good mental health. A lot of things are going on in the world today, and we must give God the the glory and just bow down and acknowledge that it's not me, it's God in the end who gives us the ability to be successful and to produce. Now what happens in the New Testament? In the New Testament, there is a shift. In the New Testament, there is a shift towards investing in the kingdom of God. This is where we go from, from, from being keepers to being givers. Invest in the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So um, Jesus is saying, you know, do not store up treasures and wealth here on earth, but store it up for yourselves in heaven. Matthew 6.24, Jesus says, reminds us, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then um, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. As I said earlier in today's message, I think you can almost tell the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian by how generous they are. Because this is the Christian value and virtue that, you know, God wants us to be generous with our wealth and our possessions. It is important to be, um, we must think in terms of giving, not keeping. I was uh, talking with a friend of mine recently, and um, 
he was telling me about um, this Christian couple he knows, they're very successful, um, um, the wife, and this is, um, this is an Asian American couple. The wife used to you know, work for um, Goldman Sachs, and the husband used to work from Goldman Sachs. They left their company, and now he's uh, a venture capitalist or something like that. And the, and the wife, as a Christian, started, decided to develop a, uh, a, Christian, uh, a Christian type of app, you know, a Christian type app. And he was telling me, you know, and this is a non-Christian fellow too, so this non-Christian fellow was telling me about this, and, and he's saying, you know, the husband is very smart. I've never seen someone work so hard. They're not doing it for the money because they don't need the money. And I was telling my non-Christian friend, well, if they don't need the money, they should, you know, they should think about giving it away. They should set up their own foundation. You know, they don't need the money. He said he's doing it just for the ambition. They're very ambitious. So I said, well, if they don't need the money, they should set up some kind of foundation and give it away as, as a Christian because that's the, the Christian thing to do. You know, there's a very wealthy man in the United States today. He's not even a Christian. And he uh, and another person developed this thing called the Giving Pledge. Have you heard of it? Established by Warren Buffett and Bill Gates where um, they establish a foundation where they're encouraging billionaires, billionaires, they're encouraging billionaires to give away at least half of their wealth um, by the time, either, either during their lifetime or um, after they pass away. And they have like, two, I think they have like 200 to 300 billionaires who have signed on the pledge. We pledge that during our lifetime, we will give away at least half of our entire wealth during our lifetimes or after I pass away. Warren Buffett himself pledged himself personally. He pledges he's going to give 99% of his wealth away during his lifetime or when he passes away. Uh, let me, let me, let me um, give you a quote from uh, his Warren Buffett's website. He's going to keep 1% of his wealth and give away 99% of his wealth. Here's what he said. Here's what he says. Were we to use more than 1% of my claim checks, that is, I guess, his wealth from his stock, on ourselves, neither our happiness nor our well-being would be enhanced. In contrast, that remaining 99% can have a huge effect on the health and welfare of others. Some material things make my life more enjoyable. Many, however, would not. I like having a, an expensive private plane, but owning half a dozen homes would be a burden. Too often, a vast collection of possessions ends up possessing its owner. The asset I most value, aside from health, is interesting, diverse, and long-standing friends. Okay, so even... Um, you know, even someone who's a non-Christian is willing to be generous with his wealth to do good uh, for others and for the rest of the world. Let's review in closing these three principles from a pro prohibition. Let's see. Um, maybe I can get help. The next slide. Are we missing... Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay, thank you. 
Okay, principle number one. Persons are more important than property. Let's see. Okay, there we go. Principle number two. Stealing comes in all shapes and sizes. Principle number three. We must think in terms of giving and not keeping. Let us close in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your teaching and your word, uh, not only in the Eighth Commandment in Exodus chapter 20, but from Old Testament to New Testament. There's clearly, Lord, a transition, a change to up our game when it comes to Jesus in the New Testament. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to reflect and to think about what are our values, our ultimate values in this world and in this kingdom. We pray that we'll put Jesus first in our lives and that that will be reflected in our attitudes and our um, um, behavior towards our wealth and our possessions. We pray, Lord, um, that you'll help us uh, certainly not to be takers, um, to be keepers, but to be move beyond being keepers to being givers, because you will be indeed pleased with that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen.